1: It's another edition of the Talking Mets Podcast here on this Sunday, January the 22nd, 2023. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at the thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. And you can show up on podcast, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. Also, check me out on Instagram, Talking Mets, no G. For some thoughts, somewhat daily thoughts, and I want to welcome in the good folks from the fan-sided podcasting network, as well as our friends from risingapple.com. Welcome to another edition of the Talking Mets podcast, and we are going to suspend our talk about fourth outfielders, about lefty relievers, about the roster, about minor leaguers, about spring training, about AAV, about contracts. Uh, we're not going to mention the name Korea. We did. That's just so that you don't mention the name Korea. We're done with the name Korea. We're going to get into the Hall of Fame talk and not only are we going to get into Hall of Fame talk, you're going to get double you know 2 for the price of 1. 2 for the price of 1, you're going to get two shows, part 1, part 2, special guest I'll announce it just in a minute. Uh, you probably if you've downloaded you probably saw who it is. I think you'll be excited about it. Special guest and we're going to talk about the regular Hall of Fame I'm going to give you my ballot, not that anybody cares, but it's my show. I could do what I want. I'm going to go through, as of mid-afternoon Sunday, the 22nd, Ryan Thibodeau, our friend that does the um, ballot compilation over on Twitter, not Mr. Tibbs over there. He does a great job. I got his spreadsheet up, and we're going to delve into the Mets Hall of Fame because I think that that's a thing too. And there was some announcements, well-deserved announcements. And at this time last year, we were talking about Keith Hernandez, which was a number retirement, but this year it looks like the Mets are going to be focused on bringing in some luminaries into their Hall of Fame and under Steve Cohen, the direction of embracing team history as well as honoring those who have contributed to the team in the past continues. And I think it's a a long overdue, I think it's a fine idea. And I also think that... um, They made some great selections. So there's that. So anyway, let's get right to it. So special guest in part two, a blast from the past, Adam Rubin, former Mets beat reporter for the Daily News, ESPN New York, longtime Mets beat reporter. I think he did it well over 15 years, has been in the college ranks for the better part of the last five or six years. First at Stony Brook, now at LIU, local Long Island guy. I've run into Adam a ton of times at Nassau Coliseum, the old Coliseum. Uh, I think his family has season tickets there or he has season tickets, but I had a chance to catch up with Adam earlier this week and we chatted about Carlos Beltran. We chatted about Billy Wagner because this hall of fame ballot has a ton of Met flavor to it and great debate about the former Mets. There's debate about quite a few players on this ballot. So who better to talk about those guys than someone who actually covered them was in the clubhouse and still has a BBWAA vote, so we'll see what Adam had to say, how he voted, if he wants to share it. And here's a little talking Mets, Mike Silva, NYBD, ESPN Radio, Champions Radio, Long Island trivia. Because this show has had many iterations. Sports Media Watchdog, at one point it was called. It's like the sign has changed over the years, but until it became Talkin' Mets and the home of Talkin' Mets... Um, there's still a connection. It's like, you know, history is, you know, we were once the Montreal Expos, now we're the Washington Nationals, right? Is that the way it works? But a little history for those who care, and I've probably mentioned this, so if I mentioned it before and you're a long-time listener, I'm, you know, parroting myself, I'm sorry, but, you know, there could be new listeners in the show, and it could be the first time you're hearing it, but Adam Rubin was the first guest of the first ever, it was the old New York Baseball Talk, 1240 a.m., WGBB, April of t- 2007, sponsored by a now-defunct website, Free the Fan. That was my Noah's Arcade. So if you think about Wayne's World, I needed a sponsor. I needed a sponsor because you know WGBB wasn't going to just let me in for free. They weren't just going to hire me. They're like, hey, here's the time. you know, And I had to pay for the time and get this thing all started. And um, I was able to get a sponsor, Free the Fan, who paid for it pretty much through August and uh, was a great supporter of the show. And Adam Rubin was my first guest right after opening day 2007 as we talked Mets. And that was more of a New York baseball show, and it was for, oh well, the first uh, you know five or six years of its existence. It was both Mets and Yankees. It was a New York baseball show. We covered the minor leagues, independent baseball. We did everything. And uh, you know we're not going to get into where that went and why that went and what happened. But that's a little bit of history. Adam Rubin was the first ever guest on a Mike Silva-related show, so for whatever it's worth. But let's get into what you're here to talk about. So we're going to start off talking about the regular Hall of Fame. I'm going to dive into the Mets Hall of Fame. Then we're going to go to part two. Adam Rubin is going to come in and going to give his two cents in part two. That'll be a separate download, and then we'll wrap up, and I'll uh, talk about that. So anyway, here we go. So uh, here we are, uh, and and I always go and I start with this. So again, for those who have heard this shtick and have been listening for a long time, you know, I don't like to repeat myself and bore you, but I think it's important when I give my opinion and talk about the baseball hall of fame that I really give you how I see the criteria. Now, I don't have a vote and nor am I interested in being part of an IBWAA an internet pseudo, uh, you know, vote. Uh, I'm not pining to be in the BBWAA as an independent media member. I know that sometimes people get this idea that that's what I'm trying to do. So when I say give out my ballot and my vote, I'm sharing what I believe should be a Hall of Famer. has no impact. I have zero ability to uh, impact the process, nor am I trying to say I should have a vote. I'm not saying that. The People like Adam Rubin, who will be joining us in a little bit, who worked in the clubhouse, who worked hard for a certain amount of time, they deserve. that's the process. They deserve the vote. They put in the time, they put in the sweat equity, they put in a lot of sweat equity, and they put in the ability, and they deserve the reward of having a vote. And in theory, they're the experts. Now I think there's some that abuse their vote and uh, and some, you know, that don't cover the game anymore that are a little bit distanced from it, that as time goes on, you know, and I think Adam will talk about that you'll hear as time goes on the BBWA says, you know we can't have someone who hasn't covered the game the next number of years now Adam is still relevant because the players on the ballot he covered but you know as time goes on he doesn't cover players and you know they want a, I guess a little bit of a, a a little bit of fresh blood and and a rotation so that's good to see so anyway, here's how and it's it's not a brew that's the old alphabet soup we'll call it you know I'm not taking all these numbers throwing them into a brew and coming out with like you know uh you know, the Jaws or baseball Perspectives or baseball reference, like all those Hall of Fame metrics, and we'll cite some of them. That's for them to do the brew. There's no alphabet soup here. Okay. So, what we're going to do is the Mike Silver Brew, which is a lot of anecdotal touch and feel with a sprinkling of numbers. And we come out to, let's say, uh, you know, a benevolent dictator of the uh, Talking Mets podcast, a benevolent dictator because I dictate what I believe, it's my show. But it's benevolent. You know, I'm, I'm a nice guy. I'm not trying to be, you know, obtuse here. I come out with my results. And then, you know, you could listen and you could debate and you could send me a tweet. You could talk to me on Instagram, whatever. So, we'll, you know, we'll talk about that. But anyway, so here we go. Uh, total numbers and benchmarks to me still matter because this, although you'll hear about it a little bit, precedent is something I've pulled back on a little bit. Because it's not the court of law. It's not law school. But 3,000 hits, 500 home runs, 300 wins. I think these are benchmarks that have withstood the test of time. I think when you do them, they should matter. Now, I think there has to be some nuance to those benchmarks because let's say you're Julio Franco. Now, let's say if he hung on and played until he was 60 years old and he got 3,000 hits. I think longevity at that point has to be looked at. Now, maybe that puts you in the Hall of Fame because you were able to play longer than somebody else. But I think as as sports medicine evolves, we have to look a little bit at those benchmarks. But I'm not ready to say that we should throw them away, nor does that really come into play with who I picked on this year's ballot. I'd like to see a period of dominance or high level of play. Not very good high level, best of the best, or in the elite stratosphere, preferably a decade, although I know sometimes that's hard to get the exact 10 years. I do still use some precedent. However, I've pulled that away, as I said before. There is a bias in the Mike Silva ballot to historic moments. You know, Maris in the home run record, Jack Morris with the World Series moment. What did this player do that stood out on the stage of baseball? Now, notice I didn't say anything about character because I don't judge character because I'm not qualified Nor am I arrogant enough to judge character because I'd have to go through the whole Hall of Fame. So we're going to throw character and steroids and all that stuff away. We're not going to get into that debate on this show because, quite honestly, it's boring. Now, over the last few years, I've evolved a little bit, and I've tried to add some components to my analysis. This is where my own little alphabet soup comes into play. I like players who are complete that play on both sides of the ball. They don't have to be five tools, but they can't be too one-dimensional. I try not to trust UZR. It's just defensive metrics to me are all over the place. I think you have to go by, you know, a lot of that you have to trust the uh, awards given out with the gold glove. You have to look at the storytelling aspect, the scouts, those who cover these players. So uh, I like to use other advanced stats. You know, run creation to me is a big one with players. You know, how many runs do they create? And I'll cite some of that throughout the uh, the show. Um, and then, you know, there also is the traditional stats. Uh, you know, I look to see how those stats were commoditized and things like that. So we kind of roll over the place here. And, you know, I think it's a really fun way of looking at things. And I'll tell you what, you know, this doesn't have to be nasty. This doesn't have to be nasty. First, whatever I put out there is not personal against any player. And I certainly have my biases in how I look at the game, but I think as I laid it out to you in this opening, uh, anybody could, you know, intelligently say, "Hey, you know, Silva's pretty fair with how he does things." I've always prided the show has been a bridge between the fans and the media and the team, and I always try to put myself in a position where I'm fair. And you know, some people say I have biases and I have agendas, and that's not, that's true. Although I've worked on that, because that's that's not fair to the people that you're talking about. You know, I didn't like Derek Jeter, and I particularly at one point didn't like A Rod. Although I, he he became in my world more likable than Jeter as time went on, but that didn't stop me from saying that they're Hall of Famers. And I'll you know I'll get to that. So um, real quick, I'm sure you know this, but I'll rattle off the names on the ballot. You know, they've really opened it up with service times to some names that are, have no chance or shouldn't even get a vote. Bobby Abreu, Carlos Beltran, Mark Burley, Matt Kane, R.A. Dickey on the ballot. Todd Helton, Jacoby Ellsbury, very controversial. Basically stole money from the Yankees. Um, Tory Hunter, Andrew Jones, Jeff Kent, John Lackey, Mike Napoli, Johnny Peralta, Andy Pettit, Manny Ramirez, A Rod, Francisco Rodriguez, Scott Rowland, Jimmy Rollins, Gary Sheffield, Houston Street. Omar Vizquel and Billy Wagner. So, you know, up and down the ballot, there's a Mets connection, you know, guys who spent some time with the Mets, guys who made big gang impacts with the Mets, and, uh, you know, away we go. So, there's the ballot. So, anyway, so what is going on right now? So, we have to first let's set up where we see things going before I give you my opinion on that. So, right now, uh, as of mid afternoon, uh, with about 44% of the ballot being known, Beltron is about fifty-six percent of the vote, so he's not going to get in with these known with these known ballots that are out there. It's only probably as you get to the unknown ballots going to go down. So if you're at this point, almost in a little shy of half the vote, if you're not trending up upwards of above seventy-five percent, that's the threshold needed to get elected into the Baseball Hall of Fame. You are probably not going to make it. But I think that's a solid start year one for a guy that has some off the field issues that are dinging him. He probably makes it if not for the sign dealing. Todd Helton at almost 79 percent, about 79 percent. That's a strong showing. He's on the cusp. He's in good shape. I still have, you know, and I'll give you a hint. I'm not a big fan of Todd Helton in the Hall of Fame, but he's trending well. He probably, if he doesn't get in this year, will get in next year. Andrew Jones, 68.5%, 68.6% in that ballpark. Won't make it, but trending very well. Big jump from last year. Jeff Kennett, about 50%, a little over 50%. Manny Ramirez, still getting dinged for uh, steroids, about 38%. And if you look at it from uh, the year before, uh, I'm trying to get a feel where Manny was. Uh, Is this Manny's first year on the ballot? I can't really remember here, so... um Yeah, I think it's Manny's first year. No, he's actually up 10% uh, right now. You got 28 last year. I'm sorry about that. Trying to get a lot of windows up here on my screen as I do the show. Um, Also, let's bring it up. Let's go back to the the list. A-Rod, about 41%. uh, Scott Rowland at 79%. In good shape to be elected. Gary Sheffield, 63%. And Billy Wagner, former Mets closer, uh, a huge debate about Billy Wagner because uh, you know he's a polarizing debate more for his on the field accomplishments at 73% shy but trending very well. You know anybody who's at that you know 70 something percent, 68 percent. I'm not saying they're a guarantee. Um, but a really, really good shot of of getting on there. Billy's got a couple more years before he's off the ballot. I think you go ten years, so you know he's got a couple more shots. I don't think he'll make it. So, so there we're at. You know, you see who's going to be in there. Um, who do I think is going to wind up being elected? I think uh, Scott Rowland will be elected, and I think it'll be a push for Todd Helton. I'm going to say Rowland gets in, Helton falls just short. So we'll have Scott Rowland, you know, Fred McGriff was already already elected by the Veterans Committee. Um, So a couple of 90s, you know, guys from the corner, third baseman, first baseman. And, uh, you know, it'll be a decent representation there of, uh, you know, the South and the Midwest. You know, Fred McGriff and the Braves and, you know, Scott Rowland, a big, uh, you know, a a big part, not only – not only in Philadelphia, but I think, you know, his, his time in St. Louis as well. So you get, uh, you know, quite a cross-section of, of fan bases there with the Hall of Fame. Okay, so now you know kind of reality and where things are trending based on our friend Ryan Thibodeau, not Mr. Tibbs on Twitter, who, you know, carries all that stuff, you know, puts all that stuff out there. So where's the Silva ballot, you know, and I have to now go and uh, the Silva ballot. What's the Mike Silva ballot? Well, if Mike Silva had a ballot, here's how it would go. It would be Carlos Beltran would be on my ballot. Scott Rowland would be on my ballot. Manny Ramirez would be on my ballot. Gary Sheffield would be on my ballot. And Alex Rodriguez would be on my ballot. I would not vote for Billy Wagner. I would not vote for Todd Helton. I would not vote for Omar Vizquel. I would not vote for Bobby Abreu. I would not vote for Andrew Jones. And I just threw him in there because I know he's a local guy in New York uh, I wouldn't vote for Andy Pettit. And, you know, I think all of those guys I just mentioned that I didn't vote have, in some cases, stronger than others, points that can be made that could say you could put him in the Hall of Fame. And to be fair to all those guys, if precedent is something that we take seriously, there's plenty of like players that have been voted in many, many years ago that are very similar to those guys. For example... When you look at Omar Omar Vizquel and take all the character and the stuff that he did off the field and throw it away for a minute, I know that's that's hard. I'm not saying you should. What I'm just saying is put it away for a second. He's basically Ozzie Smith without the backflips. But Ozzie Smith played for a primetime team in the 80s. He may have redefined the position with how he played with Flair. He had big postseason moments. He played for a championship team. You know, so did you know the Vizquel? No, the Indians didn't win. Vizquel didn't play for a championship team. But you get my point. There's a little bit of nuance that goes into this. That that's where the stat guys are wrong, and that's where I support some of the BBWAA members who are a little bit more old school, which say you need to have the eye test. You need to have that nuance. That's why my version, which I believe bias, of course, is the most fair, brings both those worlds together. What better place to be here? Then talking about the Hall of Fame on the Talking Mets podcast. Okay. So I gave you those things. And, you know, the question now is, Mike, why? And I'll be honest with you. Um, let's start with Beltron. I think Carlos Beltran is an underrated player. I think he was underappreciated when he was in New York. I think the pro- point that – the reason he was underappreciated was because of the strikeout against Adam Wainwright in 2006. I think – because and you'll hear Adam Rubin talk a little bit more about this in part two, because of his personality, which was very n- nondescript. He wasn't an emotional player. He was a serious player that took his job seriously and played it at a high level, but didn't have the emotion. He wasn't fiery like a Paul Um, You know, he didn't have the flair like a Jose Reyes. He wasn't smiling and uh, a guy that enjoyed and took you know and 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 embraced. The camera is like a David Wright on those teams, and then of course, as he went, and he became a, a huge mentor to a lot of players, especially Latin American players. And he, I believe, he's one of the pioneers of the translator on the uh, the staff. You know, as a guy that learned the English language but struggled a lot with communication as he came up through the ranks from Puerto Rico uh, early in his career, he was a pioneer in that. And he was looked at as a mentor. To those ball clubs, and in the that on that 2017 Astros team. Now, yeah, I get it. The sign stealing and Beltron was always a guy that was good at figuring out tipping pitches. I mean Delgado too. I mean they had that. If you remember, Delgado used to have the notebook. I think even Sean Green, from what I understand, was in on that. Nothing illegal about that. You know, you pick up a, a pitcher tip tipping pitches. Well, guess what? You know that that's fair game. Now, what they did in Houston. I always argue the league should have known with technology. If I could go and look at things live and see things and look at signs and do it from my couch on an iPad, why can't somebody in the locker room do it? Well, you know, I guess maybe, you know, I'm a little bit smarter than the average bear and maybe those running Major League Baseball weren't. Anyway, be that as it may, when you look at Carlos Beltran and you go to Baseball Reference, and they make it really easy now. Like, you could, you could click on this Hall of Fame ranking, and everybody – except for one player, the top, according to the baseball reference and, and I'll give you, they kind of take war, different types of wins above replacement. They put the Jaws, which is the Jay Jaffe brew. They have all these different you know metrics. they have their their their, their war player, top five, top 10, you know, all these shares. they, they have this they take a lot into their own formula. Let's say I'm not going to hear I'm not here to describe it. I'm telling you, I think baseball reference is a pretty reputable site that if they say these guys are ranked one to ten, they're pretty close. They may be trying to rig the formula to things that they value, but it's not like they're valuing bunt singles. Let's put it that way. But anyway, when you look at the top ten outfielders, let's say top nine, because that's where Beltron falls. Number nine. Willie Mays is one. Ty Cobb is two. Tris Speaker is three. Mickey Mantle is four. Mike Trout is a Hall of Famer today. If he never swings a bat, is five. Ken Griffey Jr. is six. Joe D is seventh. Duke Snyder is eighth. Carlos Beltran is ninth. Now, there are those beneath Carlos Beltran who played center field. And I don't know the percent of games in center field they're they're using here, but you know, Andre Dawson is there, uh well beneath him. Richie Ashburn is there. Um, you know, you want to go further down, Kirby Puckett, uh, you know, and then there's some guys who are way back there. I'm not even gonna mention at that point. You know, if you want to say he's a shade below the war of the 19 Hall of Famers of this position, he is. He's about one win share below where the average of all the Hall of Famers are are at right now, including, uh, you know, guys that, you know, had down down parts of their careers, like Griffey Jr., when he went to Cincinnati, it dropped off a little bit, still a great player. Uh, that's a nitpick. You know, he lost, you know, he had a serious knee injury. And I'll tell you what, if he didn't have that knee issue, which cropped up earlier in his Mets tenure, I think Beltron has even better numbers, especially in the stolen base front. That was the part where he really didn't excel. And he had to move to a corner later in his career. But look, this was a gold glove center fielder. He was an MVP uh, candidate with the 06 Mets. The 06 Mets don't sniff the playoffs without him. Uh, I understand the whole strikeout thing and all that stuff, but Carlos Beltran, to me, is a Hall of Famer. And, you know, Andrew Jones is just behind him, and Kenny Lofton, who was on the ballot, is no longer on the ballot, uh, is just behind him. I didn't think those guys were Hall of Famers. I think when you look in context, he had the period of dominance. He had the most run creation from the position for a 10-year period, from 1999 to 2009. He had, the best run creator at that position was Carlos Beltran. For a 10-year period. That's a period of dominance. And then when you look at the gold gloves, and I watched him play center field, he was awesome. Tall Hill, Houston, can you remember that? Catch, right? Um, what more can I say about Beltron? I don't care about the sign stealing. It's a shame that you know he, we didn't get a chance to see him as a manager. In the end, I think it worked out better for the Mets because Buck is the perfect manager for the Mets. But I think Carlos Beltran will eventually get a chance somewhere, either as a coach or as a manager. It won't be with the Mets, but, you know, that remains to be seen as time goes on. So there's number one. Now you want to go and look at third base. You know, that's an underrepresented position. And I've talked about Scott Rowland for a long time. and It's pretty easy, you know, with Scott Rowland. Um, let's get Scott Rowland up over here because I do a lot of things. You know, he just got so many things flying around here. Uh, you know, eight gold, gold gloves. You know, he's about seventh all-time in third baseman in war and just straight war. I think he's a guy that's not flashy but sneaky good, probably got hurt a little bit playing with the Phillies when they were bad, and then played in smaller markets like St. Louis and Cincinnati, got comparable numbers to Brooks Robinson and Ron Santo, and uh, you know the media part, probably because of the era he played in with the Yankees and the Red Sox, if he had played for one of those teams, I think he's in already. I don't think there's a doubt about it. you know, so Scott Rowland to me is a Hall of Famer, and when you really bring him up on that same uh, ranking, let me see if I can bring that up. Third base, I mean, Scott Rowland right there is uh, in the top ten when they do the the combined war. You know, but just a shade below Ron Santo and Brooks Robinson. I mean, he's not Chipper, he's not George Brett, and next year when Adrian Beltray is up for election. He might be better than Shepard Jones. He might be better than Brett. That's a debate. But you may have another third baseman going to the Hall of Fame. He may be a first ballot Hall of Famer. We'll see how they view him. So anyway, you know that's where I see uh, uh, Scott Rowland. I don't think he felt like a Hall of Famer while he, we were watching him, but he was sneaky good. Now, let's continue to look at this. Manny Ramirez. Probably, not probably, you could debate maybe Frank Thomas. The best right-handed hitter of our generation over 15 years, 92 to 2007. Hit over 330 against left-handed pitchers for his career. Top 20 in RBIs all time. Over 500 home runs. I mean, this is a guy that's every bit the offensive player, Frank Thomas, who's in the Hall of Fame. A-Rod, Miguel Cabrera, who will be in the Hall of Fame. Elite run creator like Hank Aaron, Hank Greenberg, Willie Mays. Um, Top 25 all time in run creation. Uh, You know, the steroid thing, I'm not going to get into that. I had a fun little thing I brought up here. From 1992 to 2007, all of baseball, the most runs created during that period was Frank Thomas. The next person, Manny Ramirez. After that, that's the guy who's next on the ballot, Gary Sheffield. And I think Gary Sheffield is a Hall of Famer. And and look, I know what you're going to say. You know, Mike, you just— you just contradicted yourself because you talked about the need for it to be a two-way player. Now, Sheffield's not a two-way player, but he's a guy that started out as a shortstop, moved to third base, I believe, right field, DH. I mean, he was a big guy. He wasn't known for his defense, so he didn't really have a position, and he bounced around quite a bit from team to team. San Diego, Milwaukee, Miami he had some big moments with, the Dodgers, played really well in Atlanta, played for the Yankees at the end of his career, even had a got his 500th home run with the Mets. Always seemed to grouse and be unhappy when he was with the team, so he wore out his welcome. He was a guy the Mets tried to get for so long. I think they tried to get him when the Marlins were having their fire sale. They actually tried to get him back when Joe McElvain went over to the Mets when they fired Al Harrison and Sheffield got traded from San Diego to Miami. I believe they they tried to get him a few times, and then finally they get him 15 years later when he's at the end of his career. Had a decent season for a Mets team that was injured beyond belief. He was supposed to be a backup, Gary Sheffield, on that team. But um, from 96 to 2005, an OPS plus of 154, 332 homers, 303 batting average, 969 OPS. He walked more typically than he struck out. Uh, has the 500 home runs. Uh, you know, it's hard. If you vote for Manny Ramirez and you don't care about steroids, you have to vote for Sheffield. And personally, if you vote for Sheffield and not Manny, I think because he had the the scandal with the cream. Um, he was grouchy with the media. I think that hurts him a little bit. And, uh, you know, look, you know, he's a Hall of Famer. There's tremendous numbers. I think he's a guy that we knew offensively was a Hall of Famer, but because of his teams that he jumped around and the fact that he didn't have a position, maybe we dinged him when we watched him. Uh, what's next here? Let's keep going. Uh, I gave you Roland. I gave you Beltran. I gave you Manny. I gave you Sheffield. A-Rod. Not much more to say about A-Rod. I don't need to go through the numbers. Um, You know, if you look at that that list of 1992 to 2007, A-Rod didn't play five. I think A-Rod didn't come up to, what, 96? So there was a three- or four-year jump everybody else had on him. A-Rod's number four on that list. Uh, You know, he's a guy that in – you know if what I? If I do say something about A. Rod, he was a 40-40 guy when he came up and played shortstop with elite defense early in his career. Could win a batting title early earlier in his career. Later in his career, he was more of a fifty home run hitter. Moved to third base. Um, you know the controversies and everything. A. Rod's a Hall of Famer, and the end of his career was ugly with the steroids and the legal issues with MLB. He's now trying to revive his persona by being in the booth by doing media. I know he was trying to buy the Mets. He winds up buying an NBA team. Uh, he's on Shark Tank. You know, I, I think A-Rod is a guy that I think people have to understand when you're that good at something and that good-looking and make that much money and live in that world, I think it's going to be hard for you to identify with the everyday fan and the everyday media member. And there are some guys that know how to bridge that gap, and there are other guys that try and never can, and I think A-Rod is the latter. And in today's day and age where wealth and luxury sometimes is looked at as evil or bad, A-Rod kind of symbolizes both. And then you throw in the steroids and I think it's a perfect storm for people not to like them. I was one of those guys when, you know, the height of the Yankee met, you know, towards the end of that golden era of subway series, when he came in with moving a third, he was hard to like. But uh, as time went on and as you saw how he was treated by MLB, on his way out the door, uh, I, you know, and that's another story for another day. It could take up a whole show. He almost became, in my eyes, a sympathetic figure, to be quite honest. So um, so I gave you my ballot, Beltron, Roland, Manny, Sheffield, A-Rod. I'm not going to get too deep into the guys that I didn't vote for, but Vizquel, Ozzy Smith, without the flair, without the rings, I already talked about that. Bobby Abreu was a moneyball player, was an analytics player. You know, I, I, he, I know he was looked at as a good defender. I think he was not because I always remember him being afraid of the wall. Probably underrated, again, played in Philly for a big chunk of his career. Uh, but a really good, I would say, component offensive player. Just very good. Probably the Hall of very good. Andrew Jones as well, elite defender. Couldn't stand how Don Chalani was in center field. Had some really big offensive years, especially as you got into 06 and later. You know, so he could pop you 30 home runs. Had a big home run in the World Series against the Yankees as, what, an 18-year-old or whatever it may be, 19-year-old. I just felt that the offense was just shy of elite. lead. He's not in that Beltran uh, – not in that Beltron category. And that's really, I think, the debate as you go. And look, go to the, the – call us Beltrons page. Scroll down. Go to the Hall of Fame link. And you start to see how they rank and when you start to see how they're trying to push some people, some of these Hall of very good players like Andrew Jones into the elite, you're just you're just creating a, a larger spread. You know the bar has been set. And yeah, there are some players that Andrew Jones is better than that are in the Hall of Fame. We can't go back and take people out. We can't go back to the 60s and 70s and and how they voted. And as the game evolved and as the game advances and as the game changes from era to era, Remember you know, the game was still youngish in terms of the modern era in the 60s when you started voting for the Hall of Fame. We've evolved a lot in 60 plus years. Can't you know, that's why I think precedent is something that we have to take out. Uh, Andy Pettit, another guy, a very good clutch pitcher, uh, you know pitched an all-time game for the Yankees in game uh, five of the 96 World Series, a guy that um, I never thought he was a number one. To me, he's not that much different than Al Leiter. I just think he stayed a lot healthier than Al did throughout his career. Uh, Probably a really good 1A or number two. Had to be an ace on some Yankee teams at times. You know, with Clemens there, they probably wasn't, but you get my point. Uh, Good pitcher, but falls short. Uh, I think the two guys that we want to go a little bit deeper into is Wagner and Helton. If Edwin Diaz doesn't repeat, Anywhere near, or let's say he regresses to the Edwin Diaz from his first couple of years of uh, of his time in New York during this next contract, Billy Wagner will stay probably the best best closer in Mets history. I mean, that period, 06, 07, 08. If Wagner doesn't go down in 08 with Tommy John, the Mets probably make the playoffs a lot easier. They don't go to the last day of the season. Um, Hall of Fame closers are... And, and, and I'm going to be hard on closers here. It's got to be a small club. Saves are commoditized. Uh, you're pitching one inning. Um, you're really having your workload managed. It's a lot easier to be great. Now, look, some of these players today coming out of bullpens have tremendous stuff. But when you start to look at the benchmark, you got to really stay true to the goose gossages. They – You know, Hoyt Wilhelm was like the first closer, let's say, and then Goose revolutionized it, and then Eckersley took it to the next level, and then Rivera took it to the next level. I don't believe Trevor Hoffman and Lee Smith are Hall of Famers. I know Billy Wagner's better than them. That goes back to precedent. I mean, you could make the argument that K-Rod, who's on this ballot, is in that same bandwidth as Wagner. I think Wagner was really good. I think he had some Hall of Fame seasons. I know he didn't have a ton of postseason experience, because of the teams he was on. They can't knock him for that. But when he was in the postseason with Houston. And look he gave a big home run to Sotokuchi with the Mets. He did not perform well. He struggled in the 2006 postseason. He was good against the Dodgers. He struggled against the Cardinals. He did. And I remember that. We were holding our breath. As Mets fans when Wagner came in in that series. And I'll tell you what. That matters. Because you weren't doing that with Eckersley. Taking away Kirk Gibson. You weren't doing that with Rivera. You probably were doing that with Hoffman. I think the BBWAA has opened up guys like Hoffman and Lee Smith, and I think it was a bad move. That was, Lee Smith was, I think that was a, that was the Veterans Committee, right? Yeah, there was the Veterans Committee. I don't agree with that. So, you know, to me, that's a mistake. Billy Wagner, not a Hall of Famer. Great numbers. And I love Billy, and I know he's passionate about it, and he probably would tell me to go blank myself if he heard me talk right now. But Billy Wagner, even though you go to, you know, the way they organized everything here on uh, Baseball Reference, he's number six all time. But, you know, if you just take standard war and you take the conglomeration of everything, Billy Wagner's down, you know, with Kerry Wood and and uh, Joe Nathan. Uh, you know, I could even argue Raleigh Fingers might not be a Hall of Famer. Bruce Souter, I know he was a, a dominant. Um, you can argue that as well. You know, I know that, you know, we like to... You know, point to guys like that and say Billy's better, but maybe you could point out that their run wasn't as long as it should be. And I think with the kind of numbers we have now, you know, Bruce Suter for sure an elite closer, but how long did he do it for? Five years? He fizzled out a lot after the age of 29. Is that really enough? I mean, he won a Cy Young Award. Is that why we put Billy Wagner in? I mean, again, you don't want to. You don't want to knock somebody for getting hurt, but, you know, there it is. Uh, so I do not believe Billy Wagner is a Hall of Famer. Uh, and then the other one that we probably need to talk about, you know, on the Silva ballot, that, uh, is Todd Helton. And that's probably the one that'll get, you know, Mets fans may be passionate about Billy. Again, like I said about Larry Walker, like I say about most every Colorado player, especially those that played in the inception of the team from 92, uh, you know, up until they got the humidor, when they get the humidor, about 10, 12, maybe 15 years ago, Colorado is a place that you have to normalize and have to take some of those numbers with a grain of salt. When you have a player that has a 350 batting average on balls in play, has a 1,000 OPS at Coors Field, and then he's an 850 OPS on the road, very good, yes, he won a gold glove, and he was really, for a five-year span, really, really good, elite. Uh, and had to replace a very good player in Galarraga at first base, remember. Didn't hit the 3,000-hit milestone. No playoff heroics. I know he falls into the McCovey and Eddie Murray with the numbers. But I just can't get over Coors Field. And I feel if he played with the Mets, let's say, I don't even think there'd be a debate about him in the Hall of Fame. I don't think he comes close. I really don't and maybe I'm wrong, and I think he makes it, and he may make it this year. My prediction is Roland makes it. I think Helton's going to get dinged as time goes on. Now, I don't see what these ballots... you know, there's no, It's not like they're getting crowded. When ballots get crowded, that's when guys like Helton fall off. When ballots are, are thinner, that's when guys like Helton make it. So I think Helton's going to make it. He may make it this year. I think it's a push. I think it's going to be right down to the wire. That's my two cents. I think Roland makes it. Uh, Helton doesn't. So... That's my feeling on this year's Hall of Fame class. Uh, Hope that that summarizes it well. We went long, man. I mean, almost 40 minutes I talked to you here without a break. So uh, we're going to take a quick break. When I come back, there's more Hall of Fame talk. The Mets Hall of Fame. I want to give you my thoughts on some of the inductees and some quick memories. I've shared some of them on Instagram. If you're not following me on Instagram, you should. Talk a Mets no G. And uh, we'll talk more, this time with a Mets flair, Hall of Fame. Today.
0: Time There's
1: been a tiebreaker playoff in the history of Major league baseball and up to now one of the greatest pitching Performances ever seen in one of these and it's
0: caught by Alfonso at second base And now Leiter
1: has completed a two game a two hit shutout And it has put the Mets into the playoffs for the first time in 11 years And this one was Leiter's first complete game of the season Johnson popped up in the first inning
0: And he hammers it to right Back goes Bass at the bullpen Ball, it's gone And Hojo
1: is blistering hot in the number two spot Diaz staring at him on the rubber Diaz looking into McCann Diaz brings the hands together The 0-2 pitch Trying and miss straight three, he got him with a slider, put it in the box. Five Mets pitchers have combined to no-hit the Philadelphia Phillies. It is the second no-hitter in Mets franchise history. This one takes a village,
0: but they get it done. McGlinchey staring in, has his sign. On a two-one pitch, and a drive in the air to deep right field. That ball headed toward the wall. That ball is out of here, out of here! A game-winning grand slam home run off the bat of Robin Ventura. Pitch to Piazza, swinging a drive, beat down the left field line toward the corner. It's out of here, out of here! Mike Piazza with a line drive three-run homer just inside the left field foul pole. The Mets have tied a club record.
1: Enjoyed the montage of highlights for the Mets Hall of Fame inductees. I, I'd be remiss. And it probably wanted to do its own show, but with it coming right around the actual Baseball Hall of Fame induction, I figured I'd just meld it into this whole thing. Because like, once this Hall of Fame stuff is over, let's face it, we're, we're square looking at pitchers and catchers. We're square at looking at the 2023 Mets, and we're going to put all this stuff in the closet. Because of the Carlos Correa situation, we really— oh, I said that name again, didn't I? Well, because of that situation, we didn't have time to really do some reflective, you know, slow post-Christmas, post-holiday shows that, you know, last year we did the Mets What If Show, you know, What If This Happened with John Struble over at Mets Rewind, which that got tons of good play. You should search that on the Talking Mets podcast, the Mets What If Show. That's a, a fun show. So, you know, not having that time because of Correa... This is really our chance, and that's why I wanted to do a double potter, because I don't want to go through the offseason and forget that this is a show that celebrates Mets history as well. It's not the primary focus, and the primary focus you guys come here is for hard-hitting opinions about the current team. But we like to do interviews, and we still like to do some of the secondary stuff that, look, I put out the poll. I know what you guys like, and I know what you like a little bit less, and I know what you don't like at all. But I think everything has its place within the scope of this program. So – Okay, Mets Hall of Fame. There'll be a ceremony this summer at some point. Uh, Great class. And I'll start by saying this before I announce the class, which you already know. Well, let me do that. Gary Cohen, Howie Rose, Howard Johnson, Al Leiter. Great, great, great Hall of Fame class. All four have a connection to my personal fandom and also covering the team. So, uh, uh, you know, to me, that makes it special. Love Jerry Kuzman. Love John Matlock. Never saw him play. So... Uh, different type of experience when you see guys, and even Keith, who I saw play but was very young, I was more entrenched in the players that have now you know, been elected, more so lighter than Hojo, but away we go on that. I saw some commentary from fans that criticized the Mets Hall of Fame induction, saying that the team is going out there and putting very good players into their Hall of Fame. See, this is where I disagree. The Mets Hall of Fame the bar and the criteria is a little bit different than the baseball hall of fame. We know Al Leiter and Howard Johnson are not hall of famers in a team situation, true hall of famers or near hall of famers are retired numbers. That's why Keith got a retired number. He's also in the Mets hall of fame, but you get my point. The Mets hall of fame is kind of like their monument park. So like the Yankees will put a Paul O'Neill in monument park the Mets have their versions of that. Now, there is a threshold and a barometer. You don't want to start to go out and, let's say, put in, oh, who can I say, You know, Doug Flynn into the Mets Hall of Fame. Nothing against Doug Flynn, great guy. I've had a chance to meet him, but that's not a Hall of Famer. Um, the players that you see that have been inducted and the two broadcasters— And I'll start with the players, and I want to start with Hojo because I think Hojo is probably one of the more underrated players out there. Had a chance, I actually met Hojo when he made that little comeback when he played with his son for the Independent League, Rockland Boulders, oh, a little over 10 years ago. Uh, There is a vault interview. I interviewed Hojo, asked him about the cork bat with Whitey Herzog, talked about, always seemed to have to prove himself. Came to spring training, and I remember the headline. I wrote about this on Instagram. You know, Ray Knight had left, and, and certainly Knight's spirit, you know, his spirit and his leadership and his emotional presence was missed on the ball club. However, Hojo was far better than Knight on the field. And he wasn't great defensive player, but neither was Knight great defensive player. Here's a guy that said, I'll be better than Knight. People were concerned about Knight not being on the roster. He goes out in 87-30-30 season. Protects Strawberry in the lineup. Um, has a little bit of a down year, but still a solid year in 88 Comes back in 89, makes the all-star team another 30-30 season. And that's coming off. I think he had a bad shoulder in spring training. There was talks of him getting traded to Seattle for Mark Langston. There's a big deal. The Mets were trying to get Mark Langston. I think Jay Buhner might have been in that deal coming back to the Mets. And they were going to trade Sid Fernandez and Hojo, I believe. At that point, that would have been an interesting deal if it had gone through. Hojo has an all-star season 30-30. Then 1990, There's a season where he goes from third base to shortstop. Kevin Elster's out. He plays shortstop and, uh, you know, kind of bounces around the diamond. Solid year, but not 30-30 year. And then 91, a team that was the last vestiges of 86, a team that was in contention until they collapsed late in August, um hojo goes 30 30 again and then he he physically declined after 91 92 93 and and his career was essentially over he was a very versatile player i mean he even played second base for the cubs at the end of his career when he was more of a utility player but he played third and short and it's funny because he wasn't a great defensive player and had trouble throwing but davy johnson and even buddy harrelson had confidence in him playing short so he was very versatile very athletic switch hitter Uh, You know, when he hit the 30-30, I think that might have been the first switch hitter 30-30 since Mickey Mantle, maybe? I guess maybe Eddie Murray. No, Eddie Murray was a 30-30. So he's in very rare class. Uh, And he and Strawberry pretty much offensively. I mean, the Mets were a great offensive team in 87. But the two of them highlighted that great—I mean, the 87 team is up there, and I have to go look at the numbers another time, as one of the better offensive teams in Mets history. And that's losing Ray Knight. The pitching was a problem. The health of the pitching staff was a problem. But that's another story for another day. Now, Al Leiter, same thing. I think at times he's underappreciated. Uh, you know, Al talked about, you know, it ended pretty badly. He wanted to finish career at the Mets. The Mets went with Pedro Martinez. The right move at the time. They didn't have a budget for both. Al was not the same pitcher anymore after 4 So he missed out on getting 100 wins with the Mets. You know, when Al was acquired in the fire sale from Miami, the Mets had a lot of good pitchers, but they didn't have an ace. And Al's really not an ace, but he pitched like an ace in 98. Pitched really big for them. I think he was like 17 and 5. And uh, you know, for a team, you know, it was was really their their core, their hub of that staff. And then in 99, he got off to a bad start, and he wound up pitching well down the stretch and then pitched that ultimate play in game in Cincinnati. I mean, I've spoken to Mike Piazza, and Mike has told me he was throwing hard that night Al in a pretty hostile environment. You heard that clip coming in, and big, big game pitcher. Al was not afraid to take the ball. Al was not afraid to go deep in games. His career was probably derailed because Dallas Green it was, I believe. Left him out for 160 pitches early in his career. Similar to something that Davey Johnson did with Doc Gooden uh, at one point. Probably hurt his shoulder because of that. And... um, it took him a while to figure it out. Al was a late bloomer. So I think his numbers would have been even better. And he might have been closer to Andy Pettit, as I said earlier, if he hadn't been so hurt earlier in his career. Figured it out late. I mean, threw a no-hitter in Miami. Um, so so Al, to me, is a no-doubt Mets Hall of Famer. I think he was better when Hampton came in and was kind of the ace of that staff. You could make an argument they were 1A and 1B. Uh, I think Al would have been better served. if they, Look, if, if he was on a staff like this current Mets team, uh, like Chris Bassett was on this staff. You know, It's a lot different when you have Verlander and Scherzer ahead of you. Al would have been looked at differently. I mean, he probably was more like Chris Bassett in that way. I think he's a little bit better, maybe number two. I, I like Bassett. Some people debate that. So Al's a number two for sure, but definitely a Hall of Famer for the Mets. And I got to tell you, I see other pitchers that fall into that bandwidth. I mean, he's fifth in Mets war all time. Uh, soon you're going to have conversations about Sid Fernandez and maybe even David Cohn. Uh, I think both those guys are up for consideration in the future. I would love to see David Cohn. And I think El Cid as, as well, similar to Hojo in a way, uh, is very underrated. Now, as far as the broadcasters, you know, I can't say enough about Howie and Gary Cohn because as someone who grew up listening to a lot of his sports on the radio because I didn't have cable until I was 16 years old, you know, anybody who lived in New York City, I lived in Brooklyn growing up and and, and kind of knows that era. It was hard to get neighborhoods wired. Cable wasn't wired all over. I mean, think about that how much media we have now. There was so much bureaucracy with the cable companies. They were not wiring neighborhoods for cable in the eighties. So I had to listen to a good chunk of baseball and NBA on the radio. So I have a lot of fond memories of guys like Howie Rose, Gary Cohn, who started out in the radio. I mean, both have done television and radio and I'll tell you a couple of quick stories. And I shared those on Instagram again, talking that's no G. Um, Howie, what I always remember about Howie is his evolution. And I know some of you, and you heard a Howie Rose call from earlier this year coming in with the Edwin Diaz and the no-hitter. You know, I just wanted to get to put it in the books. Some of you remember Howie if you're a Rangers fan from Mateau, Mattel, Mateau. I mean, and I don't blame you for that. That's maybe his best call. His best call may not even be a baseball call, right? Uh, but I remember Howie as the pregame Mets extra pre- and post-game, a big time Mets fan, the WFAN coming into its its own, its birth. And he was as passionate and as hard-hitting as anything you see on Twitter, any fan you see on a forum, any kind of fan calling in to talk radio. I mean, nobody today is like Howie Rose was with Mets Extra. And he was authentic, and he was real, and he was fair. And not only would he interview these managers and ask the tough questions of guys like Buddy Harrelson and Davey Johnson. And Gary Cohen did it, too, with Jeff Torborg when he had his own post-game show uh, on the radio post-game. Um, but— he didn't do it in the scrum where he had all that protection of all these people. He did it one-on-one. And these managers with the Mets Extra had to take calls from fans. I mean, think about that. Think about how crazy radio was in that wild, wild west of sports talks infancy where Davey Johnson's sitting there and he's defending himself. And Davey is a firecracker. Look, I, I was at the – I told you this story before. I, I when, when he was elected into the Mets Hall of Fame in 2010, I went to the, the, the press uh, access – and he, he got mad at me when I questioned his utilization of Doc Gooden. And, and, and kind of said, Davey, you, you hurt his arm. And he got mad at me. So Davey doesn't take, you know, he does, he, he'll doesn't he go back at you. Davey has spit and vinegar. I'll tell you that much. So, um, um, you know, this is a really well-deserved for both of these guys. Howie to me, that's how I remember Howie. And then he becomes the Mets broadcaster, tones it down in the mid-'90s. You know, the Put It in the Books is created. And now he's on the radio, and he's pretty much been involved with the Mets since, you know, 87. I mean, when I started watching baseball in a big way, a little bit of 86, but 87 is when I really started cutting my teeth on baseball. So I remember Howie with Mets Extra. He becomes a broadcaster, much more mellow version. And then you see kind of the the grandfather. I call him like the grandpa now because he's been around so long. You know, like he's been and seen it all. And, uh, you know, he's, 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 he's got he's – still you know Howie has so much spit and vinegar. You see it every once in a while, but he's not the same on the air. He's much more controlled, and I think radio and television have done that. But the young Howie Rose, Mets Extra, man, as much spit and vinegar as anybody you'd ever see in media. Now, Gary Cohen, you know, he had to get into the booth with Bob Murphy, a legend. Not easy being his partner when Gary Thorne left. You know, Gary had a, a, a legacy on the radio – it's out of here! It's out of here! You heard some of those calls uh, coming in. The one I always remember, and I wrote about this on Instagram, was the Piazza 200th home run in Houston late '98. I don't know if I don't think it was on that. That I couldn't find it because they always had the SN. Well, it wasn't. It was I think it was MSG or or Sportsnet or Sports Channel. The the Howie Rose called that Piazza home run, but that's the Gary call I always remember. It's out of here! It's out of here! And um, he's so synonymous with so many big Mets moments. And then he makes the transition to television, and he's in this booth with the Mets version of Phil Rizzotto and Keith and Ron Darling. And, uh, I mean, it's an all-time great booth. And I think it's important to uh, honor Howie and Gary. And here's the one thing, and I'll, I'll wrap up with this before we uh, take a break and we'll get to Adam Rubin in part two. The Mets may not be a dynasty on the field, and they have a long way to go to clean up the wins and losses and make themselves more respectable for the kind of uh, historic franchise they are. And they are. I said, A-Rod even said it. They are, uh, have as much cachet in some ways as the Cubs and the Red Sox and the Yankees and the Dodgers, just in a different way. And I think their win totals on the field under Steve Cohen will start to trend towards those teams, maybe not right away, but eventually. But the one thing they've always had, in the broadcasting booth is hall of fame, top notch announcers. And my biggest fear is how he gets later on in the years and Gary Cohen. And, you know, now they're starting to take vacation time, which they never did back in the day. Who's next? Because the bar from Lindsay Nelson, Ralph Kiner, Bob Murphy till today has been so high. Even guys like McCarver, Steve Zabritsky, um, even Fran Healy. I know some people didn't like Fran Healy, you know, really solid announcers throughout the years. But you had the real icons, the Gary Cohens, the Bob Murphys, the Howie Roses, the Ralph Kyners, you know, McCarver. It's going to be a hard high bar. And with the way things are today and how these media conglomerates look at vanilla and what they value, and I won't get into some of the things they value because it will just get me in trouble. I don't know if we'll have the same experience on either the radio or on air the next 60 years that we had the first. So these are the icons. These are the bar. That's the bar of broadcasting. They're Hall of Famers. You want to continue to have a Hall of Fame booth? you got to start looking for the next version of Howie, the next version of Gary. Very, very hard. And both are guys that are from this area that were in the upper deck in the 70s watching bad Mets teams, living and dying with uh, them, bleeding orange and blue. And you wouldn't know it listening to them. I told you about Howie and Mets Extra. He wasn't a fanboy. He wasn't waving the pom-poms. You now, is Pete McCarthy a guy like that? Is Salicata? I don't know. You know, maybe, maybe there's a, a, a guy out there that will come out there. But is he somebody that grew up and bled orange and blue? Hard to say. Hard to find those kind of guys. Yeah, it's a very, that's a needle in a haystack. That's a thimble. And we've been very lucky and very blessed. And I consider myself lucky and blessed that I grew up and I learned and watched from the best. And a well-deserved Hall of Fame induction. To these two guys that sometimes are on the other end introducing Mets Hall of Famers. Now they'll be introduced. And I wonder will Howie be the MC or will they pick somebody else to be the MC? Maybe a Ron Darling. Um, who knows? Maybe they'll pick someone to MC. They deserve to sit there and have the day with their family because they have been a big part of this franchise. Maybe not on the field, but the experience of us in both the media and the fans enjoying covering or watching this ball club now for a long, long time. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, part two, download part two, Adam Rubin, former Mets beat reporter, ESPN New York, New York Daily News. He's going to join me. We're going to talk Carlos Beltran, Billy Wagner, and we're going to remember those wild Pedro, Carlos, and Omar Mets. I have the book. I actually found it in my closet. It's sitting right here. Pedro, Carlos, and Omar. That was the book that Adam wrote. We'll talk about that and more right
0: after this.